to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, our post-Masters wrap-up. What a wonderful, yet oddly weird Masters it was. So much to take away from it. And as usual, I have with me Kipper and Philly to dissect it all. Can't wait, shooter. It was a great week and hello all. Outstanding, boys. Philly, you want to kick things off? Actually, no, I'll I'll kick things off this week. I'm going to... I don't want to call it a hate, but I want to call it something I, the one thing I don't love about the Masters, the Butler Cabin interview after, <laughs> after the winner has been, has been, uh, well, the game, the, the event has been won. We get into the Butler Cabin. I, look, I know it's a tradition. And for the most part, I love all of Masters traditions, but the Butler Cabin interview is just so cringeworthy every single year. <laughs> and this year was no different. In fact, it was probably even worse this year with all the social distancing stuff, just the optics of it. Really uncomfortable to watch. Fist pumping instead of handshakes because apparently COVID-19 can only survive on palms Let and not go. on the outer. <laughs> Let it go. Oh, okay. And I'm cleansed. Uh, well, I, I, the only thing I'll agree with you there on is it is it's awkward, but it's- I think that's kind of what you almost start to look forward to. You're like, <laughs> they go from the, you know, thousands of people screaming and yelling, and then they walk into this silent thing with, you know, Nancy <laughs> exactly. and, and, and uh, whoever the chairman is now. And, Fred um, Ridley. Yes. Ridley. And it's just, it is, it, it is a bit odd. But it, yet again, I, I'm a, I like it, but uh, it is awkward. Have you ever been in the Butler Cabin? Days? No, no. Oh, yeah, poked my head through the door, uh, and I got escorted by the green cat. Um, so no, I, I didn't, didn't, didn't set foot in, the, in there. No. And we're off to a fly with escorted. Okay, over to Phil. I, I did actually like just on the butler cabin though. One, one thing I did like about it, and I do, I, I can listen to Jim Nance all day, but I did like the fact that that Fred Ridley and I didn't know had actually played Augusta as an amateur. Yeah, so as an he amateur, was yeah. amateur champion. Yeah. Um, so when he was able to interview Ogletree about his experience as an amateur. He'd actually lived that a little mm. bit. So I thought it wasn't – I get what you're saying, Damo, and we'll put it in that it's not love category as opposed to a hate because you really can't hate anything about Augusta. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> and I can't hate anything about Augusta, so I too have a dislike. Let us not hear a hate. Let us hear it. My me. dislike is that a new golfer's first experience of Augusta was a November one. So we talk about this massive uptake in, in golf this year and potentially people have their first taste. So people are tuning into golf saying, actually, you know what, this is a sport that I kind of like and here's a major that is coming in the back end of it and I've heard all about the Masters and I've never watched it. So the first time they taste Augusta is a crowdless, flowerless, and I'm not going to say slightly rougher-looking perfection, but it, it was just not a, a beautifully trimmed it wasn't quite the same, was it? Like, it doesn't matter how we try and dress it up. It's no, just different. It was just different from from the traditional April setup. There's no, there's no doubt, and and the crowds. Uh, we'll probably get into this in top topics and whatnot, but uh, the crowds definitely play a part there as well, just in your anxiety levels and your nervousness and, and all that sort of stuff. And for that not to be there, undoubtedly plays a role on how players feel going around that course as well. Did you see some of the shots, comparison shots of particularly the left? side of 13 
is well, that there, there was two comparison shots of, of people trying to get out of the trees and, and from last year to this year where the flowers were in bloom and everything else versus actually just being surrounded by a dark green forest. It was it was a really interesting shot that just summarised the beauty of it because even when mm. you get around 12, you know, the, the flowers in the background, like it's majestic and it was still majestic but there were a couple of things missing and one was the crowd and one was the, the flowers. But overall, but overall, I think, you know, under the circumstances, I think they ran it as well as they could have. Yeah, and, um, and at the end of the day, like this whole year's been horrendous really, so it's, um, it's, it's just good that they got it in, I think. It's better than cancelling it. I mean, I, I know the British Open pulled the pin, but, um, you know, I, just, I reckon it's better having it. Yeah, absolutely. But that's almost delving into a love there, Kipper, so help, help us well, out. Yeah, exactly. What have, what have so you got what, my, that you need to get my, off your chest? Well, there is a little one. It just bugs me. My hate is people hating on anyone. Like, <laughs> oh, I, the I sweet like, irony. Oh, it is. It's a bizarre. Like, I don't love Bryson DeChambeau at all. I think he's a bit of a tool from what I can see and read. But just the fact that people loved sticking the boots in when he wasn't doing well or he lost his ball and they were making fun of it. Like, it, it uh, I don't know. Something doesn't sit with me. And then Paige Spirinak, you know, digging the boots in again when just because she can because he's having a bad week. I don't know. I just uh, I think there's no need for it. Like, yes, he he talks a bit of rubbish and he and he's got some issues, no doubt. <laughs> but just the fact that people love to watch a person implode. Yeah, the tall know. the tall poppy syndrome is not a exclusively it, it, it Australian is. thing, is it? No, exactly right. I think it's it's uh, you know it's it's loved worldwide. So yeah, no, no, that annoyed me a little bit. And the issue was is that he actually declared again. We get back to this. He declared a method, mm. and mm. you know, four votes to him for declaring a method. Like he said, this is what I'm going to do around Augusta, and this is where I'm going to tackle it. And mm. it was interesting to see the 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 pairing of Augusta versus Bryson, which we'll touch on as well mm. as we go. But. But he declared a method, and, and seriously, you know the, the first ones to throw stones yep. are the ones that live in these precious glass houses. It's yeah. And you mentioned someone's name then, and I apparently I'm not allowed to mention uh, their Turn their the name page um, because of I'll end up breaking a yoke or a woke or whatever it is. I don't even know what it is these days. So no, heaven forbid anyone was male or female. And um, that's all I've got for yeah. now. <laughs> okay, Phil, that's keep digging yourself into that hole. I love it. I love it. Let's move. In, let's move into our loves, boys. For mine this week, it's the raw, that, that raw, genuine emotion that still exists in world sport. Mm. And we saw it with Dustin Johnson, who on any other day, like he, he never looks affected by anything. Um, he almost looks like he's in his own world all the time. He's usually totally unflappable and in control. Yet in the, um, the Postmasters interview with, um, uh, who was it, Amanda Balionis, I think, uh, he he started to he couldn't hold back the tears anymore mm. after putting on the green jacket and standing there and it just showed how much it meant to him and clearly clearly the masters is the major title that most of the pros want especially the american golfers mm. and and also too i think like to be fair to him, he probably should have won it a couple of years back when he had the mischief down the stairwell um, in his own mind because he was clearly the best player that year by by absolute straight so i think him playing well and then fulfilling, I guess, that that destiny. And everyone kept poking fun at him, the fact he'd only won one major and, you know, 20-odd something, 22 or three events he's won, but only won. Like, you know, it, it really drives me a bit nuts, this old major comparison where that's mm. only how good you are is, is how many majors you've won. But so to see him, you know, get up and, and win in such a convincing f- fashion and will be now, regardless of get, whether he goes on to win five or six more or no more, he'll he'll be touted as one of the one of the greater players that's, that's played. So that that – 
He deserves yeah, We'll that. touch on that a bit later as well. Yeah, definitely. As per my suggestion, some podcast ago. No, but he needed to get that mate. Now he's got that major fail. Now oh, we can you're talk about it, it with a little just bit said he more. Didn't well, yeah, it annoys me that he does change that kind of, That's how it's determined, though, isn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> I know. Like, is he a better player than Brooks Kepra? In my mind, absolutely. Right, but he got four, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. what do you do? And he's, he's kept going better than Norman. Absolutely not. But it, but according to the stats, he will be. Like so, I don't know. And if I was any good at anything, I'd have a comparison. <laughs> but, um, sadly, sadly not. Yes. Well, that flows onto my love anyway. Uh, I might as well just kick that straight in there. Good. It. it um, I just loved how Dustin fulfilled that destiny and went. You know, not only did he smash scoring records and all the rest of it, but to be fair to him, he should have been deeper. <laughs> He should have. He should have been more under par. Like you know, we always talk about DJ's putting and whatnot. And it was okay. It was pretty solid. But by no means was he, you know, Jordan Spieth in his in his heyday or anything like that. He he just hits the ball so damn good. Well, it's arguably his his iron play is what really helped him out. Didn't Unbelievable. Yeah. More more greens in regulation than anyone I, I think ever has. Any of the major winners has has from the Masters. Yeah, so. and his proximity to the hole and where he leaves it, he's, he's really good at distance control, I, I reckon. I think that's one of his – I don't know whether people talk about that as much as they should. They talk about him dominant and all the rest of it, but his yardage control is frightening for such a powerful guy. His wedge control is awesome. Usually big guys like that struggle with spin rates and, and um, all that sort of stuff, but he, he seems to have mastered that. And, yeah, and so I, my love was the fact that he kicked on, deserved to win, won easily, and and yeah, and as you said, his humility at the end of it was was awesome. I just laughed. Well, while you're there, did can I throw in also the, the second love? Sorry, Phil, but for him to win it with his brother mm. on the bag after the years and years of you know of catting for him. Now, you as a caddy would would understand how how special it is as a team to to you know obviously you weren't there for mm. a major major, but. To, to do it with his brother, and you heard him speak so so passionately mm. about that afterwards, Austin, Austin yeah. and Dustin. Uh, it's that's got to be very, very yeah. Cool. I, I think also too, there's a lot more that comes with that with being having a sibling out there because, uh, or a relative for that matter. Because I know for one, it, it you know, it gets extraordinarily heated at times. I was out there with one of my best mates for a long time with Bads, and then I was out there with a person become a good friend in Allenby, but by no means did we you know, know each other beforehand or anything like that. And and then other people like for Ogilvy and so on, that like you just had a relationship with them, but they weren't a you know really best mate mate like Bads was, and they certainly weren't a, a sibling. So with winning with Aaron versus winning with, with Allenby, they were different. They were very different because you got mm. quite emotional like you did, not during it. I never got emotional during it. I'm not sure why because I – cried a drop of a hat, I'd bore my eyes out when Kathy Freeman won the 400 and I just get pretty emotional with sport, sporting efforts. I'd, with your money. <laughs> no, it was just amazing. But you know, story about that just quickly. I was, we got tickets to that, right, through Nike, box seat at the, you know, in Sydney um, to watch the, the whole thing unfold. No, we were me and Bads. We were in the place it was four years earlier in Atlanta. We just emceed, the, um, missed the cut. Drove to a dingy hotel, um, turned the TV on, just happened to turn the TV on, and there's like the greatest sporting moment in one of the Australian in, in history. And we just sat there like little, oh, God, we're all broken. And uh, just thinking, well, could have been <laughs> sinking some frothies in a magnificent little cubicle on the other side of the world. But no, here we are in a dingy hotel in Atlanta. But anyway, that's a side story. Point is, yeah, I just, um, yeah, I think, I think it's awesome that, that he won with his brother and it would have been heightened no end um, because of that relationship. Hmm. Do you know what I love? In fact, there's a lot I loved. But one thing particularly that stood out to me as a history-making week 
that it was, and everyone has spoken about it. But Cam Smith, mm. little Aussie digger, <laughs> first time that four rounds, four rounds in the sixties at the Masters, and to come away from that. But then he, what? What I loved even more, and this is testament to the character, and he is a jet. Was the you know I'm over the moon and fifteen under, and I take that all day every day, and you know if I do that again, I'm going to I know I'm going to win my share. But, you know, it wasn't a, oh, poor me, it wasn't mm. enough. It was a, I blitzed it. What a, what a brilliant I, I did mindset. Really well. it, yeah, and it's just a great mindset, and, and that's the thing that's going to hold him in, in and, great And great golfers have a, a really interesting mindset compared to some other sports where they know that if they beat themselves, they pretty much win or go close to it. Right? But they don't have to beat other people. They just have to beat themselves because you do that and you're going to score well. So when you do beat yourself out there and you, and you play well like he did, you can't do any more than that. If someone goes berserk and, you know, like DJ, what do you do? Like you can't, can't, you haven't lost. You've just got, you know, hammered by a guy that, you know, that, that's just played better golf. Um, so that's a, a brilliant mindset he's got. And he, has, I don't know if you can call him a battler or a digger though. <laughs> He's a multi-millionaire. No, he's a uh, they're all little Aussie battlers. <laughs> I think he's better than that, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they're all little Aussie battlers. Everyone's no, little Aussie Anyway, we love him. He's a he's a true blue Aussie, that's for sure. But you, you know what he is? He's a class mm, true act. True blue Aussie. He's mm. a class act. He's he he is the way. See, I've got a note down here. Is he is he Australia's Ricky Fowler? Ooh. Like he's such a. Such a, a, a lovable kind of guy. He's I don't know. It, it's just it was just something that I that I thought you know it's, it's such an outstanding effort from the young guy. But like Ricky, he's like he's really affable and and he they both seem really confident in their own skin. Mm. Does he have the game to win one of these? Do you well, think? It's, it's interesting. I, I think it, the, the big change in I really do. I think the big change in Australian golf in the last five to seven years is that there's guys out there that are contending and basically almost winning majors that are getting the most out of their game that you couldn't see happening, like Leash. And whereas mm. 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of guys, or 30 years ago, a lot of guys, including Norman and you know, Appleby and Allenby and, and some of the great Australian players that were, let's call it, touted as better players that were never fulfilling mm. destiny. And so it's pretty cool to see you know, these guys that, that are contending all the time that looks like they're getting the most out of their game now. It's fantastic. And what do we put that down to? Is that a coaching thing? Is that a training I, thing? I reckon it's probably just got to do with the youth believing they can do it, seeing some of the, the likes of your Normans and co um, and growing up seeing Tiger win so many. And maybe there's just this, you know, kind of instilled belief that if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Uh, I don't know. I, I, but, it, but it does really shock me that they just get as much out of the game. They're all little Michael Changs running out there, aren't they? <laughs> Getting the most out of their game. <laughs> But the other thing from Cam Smith's point of view, and Kip, you've spoken about this a lot about owning your swing. It's a really good action, but it's not what you would describe as a as a mm. classical or a textbook action. There's a little wobble at the top, but he owns it and he believes in it. Maybe part of it is that because he has something mm. that he owns as opposed to something that someone mm. else has built, when it comes down and when he's under the pump, he just backs it. Now, I know that they all back their swing and they all back their action, but because it, it's – the result of hard work, mm. not over-engineering. 
because you can see that in a couple of the moves, and I, I, look, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you're yeah. about to agree with me <laughs> that you've seen in a couple of his moves that you know they're not. Well, I also think textbook. there's probably some some merit in the way that people have learnt to understand golf swings a bit more, really, in the last ten years than they ever have. You know, in the early 1900s, right up to 1970s, that you didn't see anyone that didn't have a huge turn, loose legs, you know, over length kind of swing to what we see today, wrist cocking at the top. Yeah, the amount of bowers of the wrist back in early 1900s, it was very minimal, very minimal. But now, as, as we've understand more about biodynamics and, and um, more about general movement, right, they seem to be able to say, okay, well, that swing idiosyncrasy doesn't hurt you, so let's leave it alone. Right and, and and work on things that are important, and that I think is the biggest shift in in coaching. Because, geez, when I grew up in the nineties and, and early two thousands, if you didn't have a classical beautiful swing, rip it apart, right, fix it. And there was a real problem in this country, Australia, with coaches thinking that way. Like you got to be on plane in the backswing, and you got the best takeaway, and you got to, you know, flat wrist at the top, and blah 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 blah. And now it's like. You know what? Impact matters a lot like America has been for a long time and, and just, okay, that doesn't matter, that little glitch you've got there. Who cares? Let's just move on and keep getting better. Do you think that's what hurt uh, hurt, oh, 100%. hurt badly? Because he, re- he rebuilt his swing a couple of times, didn't he? And he sort of lost confidence. Yeah, and I swing. think also too, what we found about three years ago when, or how many years, four or five years ago, when Spieth, um, uh, Jason Day and Rory McIlroy were like one, two and three in the world, those guys had the same coach, not not the same coach, but the same coach that they have had f- their entire life, right? And though they didn't just stumble on the three greatest coaches in the world by accident, right? They, those coaches learnt to work with their player. They learnt to l- learn about their some of their little moves, their, as I said, the idiosyncrasies, their nuances that they do, and the coach becomes better too. So as you learn more about your players' movements and and struggles and tendencies, you can put in blockers and and ways of getting around it, and you become better as a team to understand an action. And there's no doubt, and Aaron will agree. Aaron will be the first to agree with you that when he was working as a young bloke so hard with Lynch and everything, they got to such a good place. But when he had a first drop off in performance, it was right. Well, I've got to go somewhere else. I've got to do more to to fix the action. But you know, had they probably stayed together and worked together, they would have worked, you know, better as a team and worked m- maybe both growing. Like, who knows? And, yeah, I think uh, Bad's now, he's actually seen Butch Harmon now. So I just found that out the other day. So good luck to them because Butch is a hell of a coach and he's still got such mm. desire, Bad's, and he works so hard. So I'd love to see him poke his head out in the next year or two and just get back to where he deserves. Yep, one of the things I saw, or that I noticed that come that that came out of um out of the Masters was I know you've spoken a lot, Dee's, about the the wind on the tw- particularly around uh, um Amen Corner and how the wind changes and and the effects of it, and we saw it we saw it in in real time with Tiger Woods on the uh, on the final mm. round where he shot he shot the highest score he's ever shot in his in his life on a hole ten rinsed it three times was it I think you know, you know what's kind of cool about um, that is like because you remember when um who's the other guy that had a ten there last year or the year before oh, there's another guy that did it oh, I forget it's going blank but the best part is imagine me or a Filbert out there and playing imagine the score we could rock up on, rack up on that hole you could just be there all day but when when I heard Tiger talking about it afterwards and he said I committed to the wrong wind the wind was uh, the wind was off the right for the first two guys, and then when I stepped up there, it switched to a howl to howling off the left. And as soon as I heard him start talking about the wind, I went, "Oh, maybe D's, maybe Kipper was actually talking <laughs> some truth there. He wasn't just <laughs> he actually knows what he's talking about." Um, 
and that's sort of what you've talked about a bit, haven't we? That it's it's almost guesswork at times when you get when you get mm, to well, um, get those crosswinds and, and, and all the rest and of it. From a personal standpoint, that's why I love that course and that major so much is because it there's a bit of guesswork in it, but in the end of the day, it's artistry, and that's what they want you to do at that course. They want you to be a bit of an artist. They just don't want you to bomb it. They just don't want you to putt it awesome. They want you to think, feel, and and get your way around the course in in the smartest possible way. And I, and I love it for it for that. Fair comeback too, just quietly. Oh. With- Tiger following the tent. Oh, five and when birdies, you consider yeah. everyone else is just Instant throwing the sounds. toys out of the cot and they're just crying to their caddy who wasn't listening because he should have given you the right, right. in the first place to then recover and finish as strongly as he did. I mean, that that is – that's just well, Tiger. And well, is that kind of mental strength – I mean, it's almost unhuman. Yeah. Is is he – now, it's almost Dorothy Dixon, but is he the most mentally strong – or almost in control of his emotions of any athlete we've ever well, seen. I'd almost have to say yes. I mean, I can't think of an athlete. I can't think of one who's. Who we only have to look at, I think, one strength. stat, and that is that he made the cut in 250 something events. And as soon as his father passed, the next week he misses the cut, right? That's got nothing to do with his game. And then I think the week after that he won or something, something stupid. Like, it had no- yeah, it nothing sane, to do yeah. with how good the guy was <laughs> hitting the ball. It's just upstairs. And I've done no research from not commenting on mental strength because I think what we'll probably find if we spent 10 minutes Googling it, there'd be 50 examples of, of people at the elite end of their game because that is the difference between being at the pointy end. But this was not Tiger's event no. and I don't want to get too bogged down on Tiger. So I'm going to go with a question because I've got lots of questions and comments. Will DJ, and I've tried to work out the right way to frame this question, will DJ – be the first person to defend a major and also win it for the first time come April. Discuss. I didn't know that was an actual stat, but there you go. Well, it's not. because So so my, my question really is, a November Augusta is not an April Augusta. Every other major for eternity has been played the same month, consistent month, relatively consistent conditions and also mm-hmm. relatively consistent conditions. A November Augusta, as we saw, and an April Augusta are a different beast. The crowd's different beast. So even the USPGA, the courses would still play the same no matter when Colin Morikawa played. The only variable is the crowd. These have two variables, Mm -hmm. the crowd and the course conditions. So DJ, will he be the first person to defend a major that he's already won and attempt to win it for the first time? Well, I'm not sure I'll have crowds there the way they're going. I was going to say, I don't think they're going to have crowds there. But it will be a little bit different. There's no doubt for a number of reasons, obviously conditions, but he – has had the game for years anyway to win it. So mm. it'll just come down to if he plays his best golf, like you know he, he has been really throughout the, this season, I think he'll definitely contend and, and there's no reason why he can't win it straight mm. away again. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree with, with you on that one, Kip. I mean, he's finished first or second in the last – all bar one, sorry, in his last seven events. He's finished first or second and in the one that he, he'd missed, he was, he was tied for sixth at the US Open. He's won the FedEx Cup this year. He's been – he's world number one and has been – he's held that title for 104 weeks on and off, yes, but 104 weeks. So he's, he's clearly comfortable being at the top. And when you consider – you know, you consider that kind of consistency. That's almost tiger-like uh, in his prime. That consistency to be right there, knocking on the door in every single tournament. I can't see how he doesn't go in. I mean, I know it's a little while away, but if he keeps if he keeps his kind of form up, there's no way he's um, he's an outsider yeah. to win it. But he can't maintain the form. So they're about to go into a big break. 
So he always has a break. Gets He'll on the play boat. Hawaii <laughs> probably in the lead up. But <laughs> but there, there was is going to be a big break. But the other thing is, if you look at how shots were performing at mm-hmm. Augusta, it was like he a November Augusta, an April Augusta suits him pretty well. A November Augusta suited him perfectly. And there was a comment that Brooks Kepka made about the fact that the way DJ hits his irons, you know, he's not a super high spinner of the ball. So when the ball's coming in, it's not sucking back. And yeah. and what was particularly evident, if I compare that and I overlay young Bryson, who had and we don't and I won't dwell on him too much, but there's a few questions about Bryson I've got. But the number of times that Bryson landed the ball in a perfect spot and spun it back 10, 15 metres. Uh, into ordinary spots, and it was a continual process. In the first and second round, it was happening all the time, whereas DJ was flying them in, and the ball was kind of stopping. But but, but also that's got so, that's got an enormous enormous amount to do with the onus on on Bryson to the, for that. Like I mean, you look at Norman; he had a real great. issue back in the day spinning the tour edition ball from you know pillar to post. So you got a you got a problem there. You got to work with you know your supplier and work with your shot making to take some heat off that and take some revolutions off it. That's just that's just the artistry of it. And as soon as you know a green's backing up and soft, you, you, you've just got to change your game a bit. And I know maybe you're saying, Phil, that DJ didn't need to change his game, but I think he, he would have been able to spin it more if he if he kind of wanted to. He'd just get a spinny ball. I was going to say, Dees, how easy would it be for a Bryson to use a less spinning well, ball, to, to adjust to a, a well, less spinning ball in those You would conditions? have thought, because Bryson was all about length, that he wasn't too worried about, you know, he was going to get a spinning ball just because he, he knew he'd hit it a long way. So what difference does it make? I'm going to kind of come in with a, you know, with, with a ball that spins so I can hold the greens. But as soon as you know the ball's not holding the greens, which you would learn pretty much early on that week, you, you probably look at switching it out. And he's only going to get more distance off in the air, but still be able to hold greens. What, what's your thought on that one, Philly? You know more about tech than me. Oh, yes. I can make up some stuff here. So um, so get ready to not press record. <laughs> Don't I'm lose gonna, our listeners. Some of it may not be factual. <laughs> but here, here's my belief and what I know from the past, is that the golf ball is the one thing that they would be least mm. likely to change event to event because they need to know and they need to trust exactly what it's going to do on a 10-yard pitch, on a 20-yard pitch, on a 50-yard pitch and otherwise. And when you look at in Bridgestone's lineup of balls, a Tiger uses the, the XS, so the high spinning ball because he, spin management is what Tiger's whole life has been built around. You know, he, he knows that he can manipulate spin all day, every, every day. Bryson already uses the lower spinning version of the, the being the X in the B series. So he's almost already tried to equate that. I think one of the challenges so, – so I think they would be very hesitant – to ever change ball, they'd experiment it, but they certainly wouldn't change ball mm. going into a, a major when all the yardages had been sorted. Because all of a sudden, a ball that might, a four iron that flies three yards longer you know, at Augusta, you're in all sorts of trouble. And so the way off, it's always this compromise of, of do I want more spin? Do I want less spin? Do I want more distance or less distance? But that's not something they can just switch on and off. So that, no being, they, that being the case, because that's no some bloody good information there, Philip. Well done. The, <laughs> Well, that being the case, then you know that that's a, that's an issue with with the way he's he's planning on playing a ball into a hole. Then, if he, if he's already already playing a lowest spinning ball, he, he's just got to dial back his power coming in. Yes, Kipper. Yes, which gets to my next point. That was magnificent. <laughs> I'm not even going to let anyone speak in this podcast. <laughs> my next question was: Bryson bitten on the ass by his desperation to hit wedge or sandwich into Had as many holes as possible. It would appear so now in hindsight, wouldn't it? Because that, that is the game. It, it's the high spinning – like he hit that high spinning mm. sweet spot. 
of of your golf club, so a full swing with pitching wedge or, or sand wedge. So well done on having 129 yards into 13. But the reality is, is a few times he's going to hit that shot, and it's going to spin back 15 yards, and he's not going to be sure why. And then he's going to get down in the doldrums and all that. <laughs> Fantastic. This could also have been. This could also easily have been a love for me. How golf was it to see that the field's shortest hitter beat the field's ah, longest? Hitter? I just, you know what I love. Bernie, I love Bernard, Bernard, Langer, Bernard um, maybe waltzing around when he's ninety, and and still and still <laughs> competing and, and winning. <laughs> he is an efficient German My machine. God, he's he? good. He is frighteningly good. Do you remember how we had a, a special guest? on a, a podcast, uh, we'll call him uh, just because that's his name, John from <laughs> Chicago. Um, and he told the fantastic story of trying to fit Langer into mm. an um, exotics hybrid, yes. but where he – I cannot draw this. Um, John did a better accent than that, but I, I – don't, I don't think he's in, Venezuelan, in that he could hit, uh, No, he's actually well, – well, Germany and Venezuela were friends at one stage, I'm sure. But Langer actually had an exotics hybrid in his bag. So John, despite this desperation to get an exotics hybrid in Langer's bag – um, and having a tail to support exactly why he didn't play it at that point in time. Isn't that fantastic that not only is the oldest guy to make the cut and outperformed, well, a huge amount of the field and just looked in complete control the whole time, but another little underdog, and sorry to call them little underdog, but another smaller manufacturer, boutique manufacturer, gets a club in their bag. We talk about mixed bags, gets a club in his bag that um, just works. He's a horse for a course. Mm. Which I thought was a really nice touch, but it was it was just very cool. He was in yeah. complete control. He honestly is just. I mean, people obviously uh, make fun of his uh, slow play, but by God, he's good. He's so good to be still doing what he's doing, and and wow, it's impressive. I did see one comment about Bernard, and it was regarding yes. Is this going to be is this going to be the anchoring thing that follows him everywhere he goes? Except it was an interesting angle. It, it what, in camera the, angle wasn't. Or? At no point in time, no, thanks, Paddy. At no point in time, the accusation was not that he was anchoring the grip to his chest. It was, and not even an accusation, it was a comment, that he was anchoring his arm mm. to his chest but leaving his the grip end off. And in terms of that definition of what anchoring is or what anchoring isn't, because, I, I mm. look, you, are, you anchor your my arms are anchored to my body. Oh, everything's – there is an anchoring point. That <laughs> when I was, yeah, some point. That's a, <laughs> so it's a really it's a really interesting thing. I, I don't mind it. I, I still hate the look. I'm far more comfortable with Langer using that putter than I am with well, well, Harding. I had a bit of a giggle um, when it all came about that they started cancelling the, um, the long putter because if you think about the issues that are causing golfers to <laughs> – Go deeper scoring, right? To to ban a long putter that only a few percent of the field was was using was was utterly ridiculous, in my opinion. Because look at how far the balls go, look at the drivers, look at the length of courses that are getting destroyed. Like, oh yeah, let's ban a long long putter because yeah, I don't. Maybe they they just didn't like the look of it. <laughs> that had to be. I think I think the optics the optics had a lot. Of yeah, absolutely to had to. Yeah. Anyway, for another day, the old long putter. I just want to touch on one of the players who he seems to have gone a little bit missing. Uh, no, not Jordan Spieth. <laughs> Jeez, we'll, we'll talk about oh, him another time. He's breaking my heart. But my boy, my boy, Ricky Fowler. Mm. So, Ricky, I mean, another top 30 place, 29th, I think he was, tied for 29th, something like that anyway. We call it 50th percentile. Yeah. Has Ricky missed his chances for winning multiple majors? 
I mean, he had he had that amazing run in 2014 where he had a couple of a couple of runners up and a third placing at the majors mm. in that year, and he had a um, it was really close to winning the Masters only a couple of years ago, 2018, with a sec- you know second there behind Paddy Reid. But has he become golf's almost man, or is that is that a little bit too harsh? Has he has he missed his window? We go to Philip, our technical advisor. Is he still working with Butch Harmon? Do you know this, Philip? You know everything. I, I know believe he's not he working is. with me. We spent some time working on his <laughs> swing, and he realised that he's going to get nowhere hitting driver 165 metres. So yeah, he um, because I know that he was turning the corner big time with with Butch there for a few years, and oh, I just haven't seen you know Butch yeah. normally hangs around ranges, and you can see he just loves the uh, the camera Butch. So I haven't seen a lot of that, so I just don't know. I, I need um, some clarity on that. If he still is, then that's a good good news for him because I, I think he's in good hands. But um, I don't know, like. Like he still hits it long enough. I think you just get into a bit of a run, don't you, where you've got so much confidence. And it's not to say that won't come back for him, but he was kind of right up amongst the top, you know, five in the world there for a while. And now he's kind of just an, yeah, not an also run, but he's definitely not not in that argument at the moment. So I don't think he's it's passed him by by any stretch, but he's just not playing solid enough. But my concern is he's now over 30 and he's yeah. had several close calls yeah. and. It, it's one of those. It's one of those barriers that we've talked about in the past. Even with shooting low, you need to you need to shoot low in order to shoot low again. Oh. Like to, to get for, to be comfortable with it. And I just wonder if he's got enough. If there's too much baggage there, too many close calls. I hope I'm completely wrong because I love Ricky Fowler. I think he's the best oh. thing for golf. Um, but I'm just I'm just concerned that perhaps he he has missed his opportunity. Yeah. Look, I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I used to be <laughs> your prime for your go- golf was I think used to be about 36, 37 years old. Well, that's it's late. Yeah, late that's 30s, totally yeah. probably changed now with the the way the boys are smashing the ball. But I, I'd I'd give him at least till he's 35, 36 before I'd I'd be having a conversation where I think he's done with majors. Just to clarify, I'm not saying he's done. Let's not. Let's. Yeah, you were. You were not even close to that. You, you said Ricky's done. I'm saying with has majors. he missed his opportunity to win multiple majors? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There was a multiple word in there, wasn't there? Hmm. Well, the, the answer to that is probably yes. <laughs> okay, thank you. It's time to get back yeah. just to Augusta and not to Ricky and not to anyone mm. who finished 29th. And we won't discuss anyone other than Bryson who finished any higher than 29th. Although I did like the Ricky question because I, it's one that you, we have at the yeah. end of every major. Is come on, Rick. What what do you do? Like it'd be so cool to see him win, as opposed to watching him celebrate his winning. <laughs> He's a great anyway. celebrator. Did the lack of green reading books show some up to be too heavily reliant on them? And it's one skill that they've not practiced enough is actually understanding the lay of the land, as opposed to looking in a book what the lay of the land is. Well, I think I think what it would have done was made people a lot less confident. Uh, because when you've got arrows and freaking Hector Pascal graphs on a green, <laughs> that's a, that's what they look Hector like. Pascal Have you seen them? <laughs> they look like a weather map from above. Anyway, of course it's not Hector Pascal, but it, but it does. It just looks ridiculous. There's that many lines. I mean, if I'd have leaned over and shown that to Rob at the time when I was counting, like I mean, you can just imagine. He liked the very simplest green area on his book that was ever ever existed. Just a few numbers here and there. And so if there's lines and swales and uh, anyway, he, he, I think. Would have just given people less confidence on knowing this breaks this way 100%. When you don't know that, uh, you, you start second guessing and you can be tentative on putts, and that makes it obviously break earlier. And so, yeah, it would have made them not, not, not putt as good. So, but that's good though, I think. Had this been played in April, Phil, I think it would be a pretty clear indication uh, when you consider the, the nature of the scoring to say that 
the green reading books probably hindered people rather than helped them. Well, they potentially, but they haven't. I mean, they haven't had them autogastro anyway, so it's a moot point because they know going in that they're not going to have them. But the idea of hitting good putts, and there are a few of Bryson's putts, you know, from five feet, six feet, that he wasn't even mm. touching the hole, and you just wonder whether or not you become so reliant on stats and data that you forget gut feel. And I think there's that element again talking about Malcolm Gladwell, this idea of thin slicing, this this gut feel. At what point in time do I just have enough knowledge? To do it, and there weren't a lot of people holding three, four, and five fingers up, and you know a bit of line straddling. I think that's the technical term. Bryson was line feeling. Straddling. Bryson was feeling uh, rather dizzy though, Phil. So it's hard to putt when you're dizzy. That's right, and it's amazing how dizzy you get after barely making the cut, <laughs> yeah. um, as opposed to you know after the first round. Uh, I mean, I know certainly every time I hit a shank, I, I feel dizzy. Or sorry, I felt dizzy just on the just downs. before you, just before sense you of nausea on transition. L is L. <laughs> but, but so that's – but it's, the other interesting thing is, I mean, Langer doesn't sit there. Like if we talk about Langer and these guys, that, you know, don't sit there. Almost plumb bobs. I mean, so much of it is surveying the land as they're walking mm. up. And Kipper, you know this as far as, you know, even speed of play. Like get a sense yeah. of what's going on as you're walking there. Get a feel for it. And unless you've got an inner ear or a middle ear infection <laughs> – you're going to have a good sense of slope. Um, unless you're cutting for bads and you're on the 11th, you're going to have a good sense of slope and which way the putt's going to break. It, it was never well, going it's, right. It's interesting, actually. Um, that's a really good point because I was playing with a lady during the week and she was really, really struggling with her putting. And that's one thing I, I said to her, like from 40, 50 metres out, right, even if you, you've got a chip shot to come, right, as you're walking up, have a really good look at the lay of the land and you can even almost plumb bob from that far out with, you know, you can kind of see, you know, some people are holding the club as they walk up with their bag or whatever and you can genuinely see most slopes of, of greens and Augusta's no different. Like the, the more that you stand on a green at Augusta, the harder it is because they're so big and swales are, are long and gradual that that's the best way i can put it put it down except for the huge te- tear drop offs but as a general rule, they're long and gradual and you can see that by when balls feed into zones like on 14 you hit the, the top side of that tier and it just rolls you know 15 20 yards all the way down to that bottom right pin but it's it's interesting because it if you stand on the greens, you don't see much, but if you stand off to the side or, or even from, as I say, 30, 40 metres away, you, you actually notice a hell of a lot more, and especially at Augusta. Good suggestion by me. Again, and I'm going to keep going until someone interrupts me. <laughs> yes. So hold on to your hats. Another thing, and Trudor, I think you know we actually discussed this, Leishman, a comment was made about Leishman, and he's been playing with one less wedge in his bag. Oh, I think right. Mark Immelman yeah. or Trevor Immelman, one of the Immelmans. There might, is, there a, is there a third one? I is think it, it was Mark. Like the, the war family? <laughs> Mark mentioned that there's a that he dropped a wedge out because he felt that it was hampering his creativity mm. and therefore his shot-making mm. skills and shot-making ability. And that goes to your point about the creative play at um, Augusta, Dee, that they want, yeah. you to, they want you to be yeah. creative. Yeah, uh, uh, and I think that's the greatest thing about Augusta is it, is it makes you – you can play a shot a number of ways. Like you can work it off a tier or you can try to stump it. Um, but, but it, it, yeah, you, you can think your way through things. It's great. Now, one of the things I wanted to raise was about the long bombing. So we talk a lot about, you know, Bryson's and, and the DJs bombing these balls. But I noticed uh, I was watching – there was a, a shot tracer on, on – I was watching when Bryson was teeing off. I think it might have been around th- second or third round anyway. That, not that important. When he was feeling better or, or a bit dizzy? <laughs> well, looking – if you looked at the angle of the ball – of where he went on 13, he went straight over these tra- – it looked like – it yeah. looked like he'd – he just 
pulled it a mile. And he was actually, I mean, I've gone, oh, this could end up anywhere. And then there it is, 370 yards down down in the middle of the fairway. And I'm like, that's not how the hole's supposed to be played. Mm. But, but <laughs> like, as much as I love seeing guys bomb it, at Augusta, there was something something about that that made me go, oh, I, I don't mm. love that. Well, I, I, like, I mean, all that they'll do there with with that hole, if it gets to the point where everyone can kind of go that far over the corner, they just poke that little tee further, further back and, and left, and it'll just cut the angle off. Um, uh, at the moment, you can stay on the right side of that tee and, and go for your life. Um, but if you sling it into the trees more and, and give people a little more of a canopy, they won't be able to do that. They'll have to sling hook mm. it and sling hook and it brings Ray's Creek into play. So, uh, And also blasting through into the pine straw, which not a lot did this year because they could take off a bit, mm. bit more of an angle. I mean, I remember the pine straw, one in every group was almost in there, you know, in <laughs> years gone by. It wasn't like that this year. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they – Change that tee in years to come. Did you see what they actually did between round two? So, Damo, you're talking about Bryson's drive round two, um, did, where did he had 130 that, did, yards. Did you see that photo? I think I, I posted it to mm. you boys. I don't know if oh, you saw it. I didn't get it. No, hang on. But round round three oh, – sorry, I was watching it. I look at photos. So, round three, they actually brought the right tee marker towards the left side of the, the tee kipper, which is Augusta's version of my freaking laser <laughs> fences. In that you use trees and you use the natural obstacles to force players to mm. play different directions. So by removing that far right side of the tee, it meant that Bryson could not, like he, he just couldn't hit it vertically. And it was it only needed to be moved mm. a metre and a half, two metres, and it changes the whole yeah. complexity of the hole. So I love the fact that, I, that's why I say I love the pairing. I love I love Bryson's, this is what I'm going to do. And I love and the Augusta. Response, Augusta. Yeah. yeah, and the response. And it, it's absolutely magnificent. And that's the beauty in course mm. setup. And even Kipper last week um, in the pre-masters pod, where you were talking about how they can almost mow or roll the greens to adjust a, a break. In essence, it's just so. Here's what the the course manager has got mm. up his sleeve. Here's what the player's mm. got up his sleeve. And those little inner battles I thought were absolutely fantastic. Just as they were when Bryson lost his ball on three, and it almost I got this sense when I was playing the devil that. Everyone knew where he'd gone. <laughs> they just thought, you know what? We're sick of you making this game harder for us. Everyone, look over here. Look over here, like when we were playing rural golf. I think it was further I, I, off. I've got to be left. honest. If um, if I was on his bag there, like I was, the, the the green coat that was helping him look for the ball was just so short with him, and didn't give him any, you know, I guess normal responses that a that a rules official would give you. Like it was just no, nah, yeah, nah, nah, nah. Just go back, nah. Can't look for it. If your ball's here, it's in water, but it's not here because it could be there. Like it was, <laughs> it was a bit of a joke that whole situation. To be honest, I'm like, but he. He, to his credit, he normally has a bit more of a tantrum than that. He, he didn't suck up massively, but uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, if I was you, Caddy, I would have had a bit more of a word to the green card because Caddies can't get in trouble. What was his comment? That was it, did Bryson say? And yes, I could have just looked up the quote. Um, so if I can't find it, yes, is it but lost? that's fair. No, that's fair <laughs> enough, Phil. Because yes, it is Why fair is enough it? because there was so <laughs> much water underfoot. Right, which was that's what I would argue the point is that when you walked on that area, water was coming up, so it's casual water, casual water, plug ball, free drop, right? But because they literally couldn't determine if it fell in that section versus you know six meters to the right where there wasn't casual water coming up from your feet, 
they weren't entertaining the, 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 the question, right? But it was a fair question. The only thing that could have happened to that ball, because of the, ru- the rough so light there, is it's plugged. Right? That's the only thing. So that's the conversation that should have been had, and, and quite, quite a bit more firmly, I would have thought. But I reckon Bryson, because he's had so much heat on him, um, of late for you know dummy spitting went softly softly but geez I, I wouldn't have welcome to our world of losing balls that you shouldn't yeah. lose <laughs> yeah. bloody hell like well, the reason half the reason we shoot so it's like I mean I feel, feel we've we've hit that many fairways and lost balls yeah. haven't we it's just unfair well, there, there's so fairways. And I'm talking 130, yeah. 140. Yeah, so it should, from the I mean, you can almost reach out yeah. and touch. But there's actually so much truth. <laughs> there's did. so much I truth in that, though, isn't it? Like we're, we're, you know, Joe Punter, meaning us, lose balls very easily because we can't see, you know, up the fairway where it's. We don't have. But it's, it's rare. Yeah. And we don't have the crowds Correct. there to, to pick it out. Yeah, so here it exactly is. Exactly yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. But would they, I was surprised they didn't have a, a spotter. That, I mean, I would have thought, given the number of people who happened to be around 18, I mean, there were no crowds there, but there were 50,000 yeah, people around 18 a lot of people. When, yeah. Dustin, when DJ won. I would have thought that they would have had a spotter on every hole, like just positioned yeah. there, wearing green, like they, they hide in the trees. Yeah. You can't see them. But to address that, now it may well be that Bryson just hit it 50 yards further than they thought, but everyone was surprised that he wouldn't have been able to Mm. find it because it was the only lost plugged ball, I think, for the week unless mm. I made that stat up too. Yeah, mm. <laughs> probably, but I'll go with it. <laughs> Boys, how did we not see DJ's win coming? Con- considering his consistency that we talked about earlier and everything, none of us none of us tipped him. I never – I seem to – I've looked back in, on a lot of my tips. I seem to not tip him for some reason. I continually underestimate him. When everything, all signs point to this guy is right well, there. Why, why are you not well, tipping? Well, I, I can answer that from my point of view. I never tip anyone any good. I just always go for people that are, are roughies. I just love the roughie. Like, I've lost on the Melbourne yeah. Cup for the last 30 years because I just can't pick a good horse. I just like picking the roughies. Well, most people Yeah, exactly, exactly right. But but I guess point is, like, me picking Tony Finnell, I want him to win. He's a jet of a player, but is he, like, the most predictable best player in the field? Absolutely not. Like, it really is two or three of them, and DJ's in that conversation. But to pick DJ, you guys would pick on me. Yeah, well, there's, but it was value bets. Well. I think that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, Kipper, is it yeah. value bets? So, so Damo, we're value bettors. <laughs> we're not favourite bettors. Because there's a point where if you pick a favourite, you're yeah. just following. Yeah. And that's why Bryson mm. didn't get a mention. Yeah. DJ didn't get, get a mention. And John Rahm yeah. didn't get a mention from us. So, so favourite one, two, and three, mm. we didn't pick. I mean, you went Shafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafaf
because it had to be close to that in oh god who am i either way either way it didn't have 60 if that's the case yeah, no, the the most was, hang on, I've got this We tried to miss, you missed Dustin 11 every day on purpose, so that would have yeah. brought him down to 68. Seriously, <laughs> didn't ever try to hit it, so that's 6-8. Yeah. So he must have missed eight greens for the week or more. So Tiger, Tiger in 2001 had 60 as well, and then Tiger in 2019 with 58 and Vijay Singh with 58. So oh. he's, my point being that it's easy to focus on his driving, which is, the most fluid athletic swing you could ever wish to, but also kind of compact. It's, hard. it's just brilliant. I love it. I was talking to Phil about it the other day when he wasn't on the leaderboard, and I was saying, oh, one of my one of my topics I want to talk about is how we talk about Bryson's length and all the rest of it, but is Dustin Johnson the best driver? Not necessarily because of his accuracy or whatever, but he's just – it's so – it's the most – comfortable swing you'd ever wish to see and then he wins and I said to Phil we can't talk about it now because it looks like I'm just jumping <laughs> on the back of him winning <laughs> yeah. which, which now I am I guess because he doesn't hit the big snap or he doesn't no. hit the little high block so Rory you know who, who drives the ball really well hits some weird mm. shots whereas DJ who, who was that Phil Sookie Rory Rory the snappy leggy <laughs> yeah. guy whereas DJ never hits that that massive high block right and never hits that that low hunting Draw left. He he he's in complete control, and I think it's this fade game. I think it's this embracing mm. left to right ism and the prettiness of the fade, and you know how, how beautiful. Like because a draw is long, and a fade is pretty, and that's my justification. Yeah, it's funny you say that though, Phil, because when when I got into golf in the journalistic sense, so um, editing a magazine, and all the instruction and everything that was being taught was to try and get rid of your fade and turn it into a draw. Learn how to hit a draw. It's the prettiest thing ever. Learn how to hit a draw. And I was a fader being a cricketer, a natural fade, perhaps a slice, but let's go with fade. Um, and I've always fought it, always fought it. And then I, you have a chat with someone like um, Kipper and he says, no, no, don't fight that. It's it's mm. some of the best best players in the world were faders uh, and you have far more control a lot of the well, time. So, Well, they, they do. Yeah, I said, I'm speaking. Control. I'm speaking yeah. figuratively. Yeah, the old, uh, how they call it, power fade versus versus a cut. Yeah, yeah. block cut. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely more. It's definitely easy to control. There's absolutely no doubt. So it's 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 interesting that we all strive. Not we all, but a lot of people strive to hit a draw because yeah. I, I guess it's because they see a cut, and the way they hit a cut, it's not as powerful and it fu- and it you know drifts off to the right. But some interesting stats on on um, TrackMan is that basically fades and draws. Given the same angle of the golf club, will go basically the exactly the same distance. There is, a, is yeah. yeah. Wow, it's just that usually when you hit it, people are hitting a fade, they're opening the blade, so therefore loft equals spin and not as much carry. And then when they're de-lofting it and drawing it, uh, it goes further. But but if you hit a ball with the same loft, fade or draw, they're, they're basically very comparable. Well, I think actually almost identical. Anyway, well, Nicholas was a Nicholas was a fader, wasn't he? Yeah, but there's a story about Nicholas where he he's, he, he he they said, "Oh, what did you see you out there today, Nick? You're playing some great great draws out there." And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I went to the driving range and instead of my fade, I was hitting a draw, so I just went with that for the day." <laughs> and there's a sign of the genius. <laughs> what a legend! Like, I mean, the what greatest player. Yeah. You know, why why fight yeah, yourself? He just so I just drew it all day. <laughs> Gold. But what was what was um, Hogan? Hogan used to Hogan used to make mm-hmm. the same comment. Hogan used to decide what shape he was going to hit Depending. based on the practice fairway that morning because he said, for whatever reason, I don't know what the nuances are, for whatever reason, if my body is telling me that today's a fading day, then I know I'm going to be yeah, fading it yeah. all day. And so, the, you know, it's just something that those guys at, at that level have, have 
Mm. Which is which is so mm. so true. Like you gotta you gotta find your not only your swing, but your swing can change day to day because your body subtlety and all sorts of things isn't the same. So go with what you know on that first tee, <laughs> and if that means that it's opposite from yesterday, <laughs> go with that. Now, Kipper, I've got some technical right. ones for you. So pay attention because right. these are important. Bubba yes. Watson, putting right heel off the ground. And according to Immelman, it was to aid his stability. Now, I've been walking a long time. <laughs> from, quite, from quite a height. <laughs> and I've tried standing still with my right heel in, in the air and with my right heel on the ground. And I've always found that, you know, the wider the platform, the better. Bubba putting with his right yes. heel in the air. Hang on. Tell the me why o- I should do it. Before you do, Dave, Phil, are you, are you suggesting that having more surface area on the ground gives you more stability? Ridiculous, isn't it? Science. But crazy. Well, I, the only reason, obviously not privy to anything he's working on at the moment, but the only thing Don't that he would be up. doing, right, is that the majority of people when they putt or hit or chip or do anything are more heel bias with their weight at the dress, right, than they are towards the balls or central part of their foot or obviously towards their toes. Now, you don't want to be on your toes per se, but you definitely want to be on the the central part towards balls of your feet most times. Why? Because on the way down on any action, putt, chip, drive or or iron, you'll find balance and balance is always on that part part of your foot, right? So, you'll see a lot of great golfers like an Adam Scott or someone work on a weird thing called forward shin lean, which I didn't even think was a real thing, but Works on is it related? Yeah, to <laughs> works on the actual <laughs> angle of his shin. Now that's not knee flex. It's actually leaning your whole torso forward enough so that your shins create a forward pitch, right? And a fair f- and, a, and a fair tilt on the on the on the shin angle. That puts his weight forward and central, but therefore he's got room to move in the backswing and create some hip depth, which is you know staying on balance. Most amateurs are completely reversed. They'll start centralised to heel. They then go into their backswing, they work their way forward to their balance point, and now they're already off their wall and coming forward. So the only reason I reckon he would be doing that is it can happen with putting too. You find yourself swaying forward and you can actually slightly heel strike a putt. And when you heel strike a putt at their level, blade turns in, uh, miss strike, miss distance. So I think all he's trying to do is stop wobbling around and stay in one place. And if he can get forward enough, then then, then he might just stay there. That's That's my guess. Now, I'm no biomechanist, but to all you amateurs like us out there, I'm telling you that negative <laughs> shin lean does not exist. So you're either vertical, but I, I can't imagine a point where you could actually get the shins leaning backwards. I mean, I've, I really have spent some time well, standing uh, up uh, in my time, and I have tried uh, to get the shins well, going it, backwards, uh, negative, so they might be able to go forwards, backwards, but I'm fairly sure the backwards oh, shin you, lean. You idiots. <laughs> Add shin lean to the no, list. No, because if you've got a vertical shin, and if you go backwards that adds shin, but if you go forward, that's the lost shin. Oh. Or it depends which way you look at it. Either way, it's... Yeah, can't go back. Whatever. No, so what do I know? Shin. Um, <laughs> next question, because I don't like that one. Bryson, his second shot, so Bryson's second shot into 13 on day two, this is the conversation that he had with his caddy. He said, so 10 is 129? Yeah, that's right. 10.30 is 135. Is Bryson so in tune with his swing... You know how we talk about the clock, or you talk about the clock, you did that with, with Shooter, with the armball challenge, of swinging it to nine o'clock. Is it possible that Brighton, Brighton, Bryson, <laughs> is so good with his swing that he has the ability to know when it's at 10 o'clock and when it's uh, at 10.30? I thought he was is just talking what? to the light to the uh, light tower there, Phil. 
Well, the, the, the answer is yes. Enough with you. Yeah, because right. most players will have that in their repertoire. Right. Like, shoot a practice that arm ball. And if you haven't seen it, go on Golf Barons, on Fox LKO, and watch that segment because it's a great segment, right, where you teach someone to use a clock system. And Pelts is huge for it, right, with his, with his way of chipping and pitching and all the rest of it. But you ch- teach someone to use a clock system, and therefore they've got some idea of gauge of distance and power. And oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bryson has, has – <laughs> Not only a, not only a normal clock, but he's probably got a digital clock uh, swing, and he's probably got an <laughs> analog clock. He's probably got all sorts of clock swings. Good by you. So, are you not surprised that there is a that there is a ten thirty element? The reason I ask that you talk about players at the peak of their game and peak of awareness. The Johnny Miller story of when he was at the peak of his game. I think going back to seventy, maybe seventy three. He was asking his caddy to give him yardages to the mm. half yard because yeah. that's well, that's just I, how on he was. So would Bryson have a 10, 11 yeah, minutes past I, 10 then? I mean, at what point in time, like are they quarter yeah, of an hour? I, well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know, but, but he he definitely would have because he's that analytical. But I, I remember with that half yard thing, yeah. it's it's a real thing because I thought that was made up story as well with Johnny Miller. But then it happened to me with, with Allenby. Like he, he, he could tell a yard difference. A yard, and it was frightening because he was such a good ball striker. Um, I could never afford to be wrong because he just would know. <laughs> it was amazing. So, no, if it's a yard difference, sometimes that would change the club he would use. One yard. Wow. Mm. I'm, I'm go- I've got. Another, I've, in fact, I've got mm. two more points that, that all came out of Augusta. Webb Simpson, again, Mark or Trevor or the lesser-known third brother Immelman, was referring to Webb Simpson hitting – he described him as being comparatively longer with his irons but comparatively shorter with his driver compared to the other players in the field. So he hit wedge in to 12 when the other players were hitting 9-9. But they said, so, you know, expect expect him to have one club less off the tee, yet he's not overly long or, in, in fact, comparatively shorter with driver. Why is I, that? Geez, I haven't looked at Webb's swing in a long time, but I'll have a guess at this. For I'll phone a friend, but uh, I'll have a guess at this. It could be to do with forward shaft lean at impact, and therefore de-lofting the club and turning it into a, a slightly lower-lofted, more piercing weapon. On average, we, we did a lot of studies on, on forward shaft lean at impact, and usually about seven degrees forward shaft lean is on average for strike point with most irons, okay? Regardless of ball positions, about seven, seven degrees, up until where you get to really long irons where they'll sweep it more. But for, for, for a central iron, it's about seven degrees. So if he's coming in there with some pros come in there with a heap, like Parnovic used to come in there with a lot more, um, up around 12s to 14. So that's almost double the amount of degree forward right, of hands. So that de-lofts your club and can turn something into a, a lower weapon. It's almost like putting your ball back. So haven't seen web set up, haven't seen impact, but that would be my guess. And because he then gets to driver where everyone's kind of got a level playing field, sweeps the ball off a, off a low point, um, whatever your club head speed and, and, and driver setup is makes up your yard. So maybe he's just not got the club head speed others have, but he kind of compresses the ball a bit more with irons. That's a guess. Well, nice guess. That's pretty good. I sadly don't have any intelligence to be able to correct you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's intelligence um, you need it. Just a sledge would have probably worked. <laughs> no, no, apparently apparently I'm lacking intelligence, but a sledge always does work out. Um, and maybe he's yeah, just got to exactly right. the yardages correctly. But my, my last question that came out of Augusta, and I think this is a, a, a fascinating one, and we'd, we touched on whether or not players were suited to courses designed by certain people. Kipper. Mm-hmm. in one of our podcasts, whether there was just Alistair McKenzie, whether the players just suited Alist- Alistair McKenzie courses. 
12 of the top Ooh. 17. It is an Oakmont. Play and I wondered Cup. why you did no. post that on the socials. Uh, I thought he's just trying to. Uh, so 12 of 17 played President's Cup. So you mentioned in the pre Augusta thing the fact that the closest greens that you've come across might be Royal, Royal Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. But, but maybe there's a flow to the way McKenzie designed. And I'm not saying all his courses were the same, but maybe there was just something that, that just suits games, that they're, they're relatively easy to, to drive on and then the game should get harder as you get close well, to the green, which is a classic. Well, the McKenzie, way I took it? that stat, it was a different way. When you put it up, I thought, um, ah, what he's doing there is saying that the basically best 12 players in the world all featured in the top, which is kind of the – the best players are all up up there is how I took that stat. So I was looking at it from a bit of a simplistic view, but maybe you're right. <laughs> but it was yeah. the internationals. That, so that was the, the interesting thing. I mean, it was it was mm. Abraham Answers and Sungjae Im's. I mean, they, these guys aren't mm. top 10 in the world mm. players, but it was almost as if it, it was a perfect rehearsal. I don't know, it is a year ago, and this is a long, <laughs> long bow. But because the stat jumped yeah. out and because I'd watched Moneyball recently, I thought oh, I'd go it. with it. It's a great stat. That, that, that there is something that you learn from playing McKenzie that you can apply to McKenzie. So I think you'll find, you know, hence Tiger. Look at look how Tiger played Royal mm. Melbourne Look at and how he spoke about Royal Melbourne and look how Tiger plays Augusta. DJ was a star around Royal mm. Augusta. Patrick Reed, mm. star around Royal, plays Augusta well. I think there's, I think there's, there's something, something in, in it, this, but I'm not well, really you, you, I mean, oh, This is great research, Mr. Phillip, again. Jeez, um, you bring something to this. Yeah, it's. A, I, I think it's probably a fair point, but also, too, the way those courses end up playing it, it it's a creative play isn't it right so so maybe those those players are just also good at creativity as opposed to obviously just a M- mckenzie thing but who knows just keep bringing the stats mate i love it <laughs> that's all i've got excellent philly now do we have any questions from the gallery today i'm not sure i don't have any uh, phil there, there is one you, know, you did get one yeah so there's a big event in april next year it's called the <laughs> masters uh, Heard of it. It's only five and a half months away. I want to know now who you think wins. Oh, well, it, because, That's well, the thing is, it is outrageous. <laughs> I'm a better chance. I'm a better chance picking five and a half months out. <laughs> I'm um, I'm going to throw a dime in the rough, t- rough here, and I'm going Tiger. Mm-hmm. Because the reason the reason well, I, I say that, it, when we saw him at Presidents Cup, obviously a year and a half ago, now is it nearly two? Is it? I can't remember. Is that all it is? Uh, one. Come on. Wow. Wow. Not okay. Well, he was the best player strike-wise. He look, just looked phenomenal. Having the COVID year, you know, a lot of kind of, I suppose, um, breaks in play and all the rest of it, I just don't think he's game fit. And he's one of those players that is such a competitive beast. Given next year and hopefully gets a good run at it to start with and a few more months up his sleeve, I, I just think he still played solid this week. He looks healthy and all the rest of it. I, 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 don't, think, uh, I don't think he's dead. I, I really don't. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go with my standard Louis Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> well, D- and, and of course DJ uh, has no, to be there. Like, we, we, but we're not allowed to say because yeah, he's too good. If I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm going to say DJ goes back yeah. to back. It's just I want Tiger to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I get everything you've you've said, and I really appreciate the feedback that you've been able to <laughs> offer. If you have money, and I'm not going to say Patrick Reed, if you have money now- Let it go. You should back John Rowe. Yeah. He will be much richer for this and for showing that, that golf can keep him a little bit humble, but be desperate to get there. But I think he's going to sort his putting out, that that high side putting, which we, we spoke about in the pre-pod. He's going to sort that out, and I think he's going to come back. And if you can get some good odds on John Rahm now- 
for Augusta in April. But Phil, I would Phil knowing on. knowing he's knowing at Augusta you're going to have moments where you're really tested and it's going to kick you in the teeth and you've got to find a way to fight back. Does he have the temperament though? Of course not. Yeah, but he's going to have a very big Christmas, <laughs> and he's going to be able to. So, so one of the gifts that his caddy's giving him is a room of mirrors. So he's going to be able to spend Christmas just sitting in the room of mirrors, uh, analysing himself and thinking about what he can do better. But I think that's part of the learning. I mean, he's a, he's a young guy. He's got that passion that the Spaniards all tend to have. And I think there's something there that with the crowds, around with the crowds, assuming that COVID – sorry, it's a, it's a with crowds prediction. Okay. Assuming that is allowed and there's that get up and go and when he gets – he'll get on a roll and he'll be unstoppable. Uh, he, by the way, he had 15 under. He only hit 58 greens in regulation, but he had six bogeys for the week. They're all pretty you good. You said players. he's young. How, how, this is, sorry, this is next year. This is not How, how old is he, Phil? 25, 26? He's old enough to win at Augusta. Yeah, he's okay. just a jet, though, isn't he? Like he's, it's almost brewing where that guy will go on a tear, I reckon, and, and, and probably get two, three, four Correct. majors yeah. in the space of six years, I reckon. Oh, I agree. So John Rahm is mine for next year, so look out for that. Mm. It's a very, very early prediction. Dees, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up with one of your infamous, not infamous, one of your famous <laughs> tales from the tour. What, what have well, you got, got for us got, this uh, week? Two in one here, a two full one, I should say. I'm going to tell you the two first time one. we landed there and then a an interesting morning before first round. So first time we ever get to Augusta, I'm with Bads. We drive in, obviously in awe of the whole joint, and you get gittery, gittery. absolutely. And, and it was just finding our feet for the day. You see all these things on camera, like um, yeah, the practice fairway and the butler cabin and the clubhouse, and but you kind of don't know the lay of the land or how it all sits and, and looks, I suppose, and where everything is in actual sort of proximity to you. So just getting there and going, oh, that's where that is and that's where that is. And so anyway, we have a great day. We get and play with Phil and had a ripping day out there and uh, got the money ball and it was all happy days. And anyway, we finish the day and we go down to, um, well, I don't know what it's called, but it's basically the Cadillac Centre back in the day where Cadillac sponsor or a part of the Masters back then and everyone gets a white caddy. Now, every player gets this beautiful, pristine white Cadillac and on the side of it's just the Augusta logo. Now, when you drive this thing around anywhere in, in Augusta, y- you can drive through red lights, uh, people stop. It's like a it's like an ambulance, <laughs> right? It, you can just do any anything you want, right? So, we get this caddy and we go out for dinner and, and it's sort of the restaurant's stops like you just walk in and, and they just know you're a player and no one knew who Aaron was at the time right but they knew he was a player so we go there and, and we um, get ourselves a meal and all the rest of it and as we're leaving the, the hostess comes up and she's like oh you know do you guys you know know where you're going and, and you know your way around here and Aaron just loves having a, um, a stitch up for people and he's like oh he goes oh we're just amazed at like the bitumen roads and and uh, we don't have any of that in Australia and she's like what do you have <laughs> and they all gather around all these people gather around start listening to t- tales from Australia and Aaron just launches into these ones like oh we've just got dirt roads and then these buildings you got here there's like two two story three story buildings he's like oh we don't see any of that sort of architecture <laughs> just little huts and anyway and he's going on and on he goes oh and I'm um, usually I'm a drop bear specialist and they're like what's a drop bear specialist and he's like oh look I stand on Sydney Harbour and when the koalas come on they, they drop down like I've got to get them off the road quickly and they're in a law and it was just hilarious to, to watch watch everybody just listening to this so we walk out and we get in white Cadillac and we have two people run out right in the road and they're like stop 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 do you know the road rules you know red lights and and green lights and and we're like oh we don't have road rules in Australia it's just first the intersection wins and with that with that bad bad floors the caddy right it roars around the corner and 
I reckon it, there was not only two because there's a few others that were listening at the door. They all just start running down the street. <laughs> trying to stop us, right, as we burn off and head towards these lights. And they must have been thinking in the back of their mind, God, these underprivileged, you know, Australian little kids have found themselves <laughs> in, in a white Cadillac in the heart of Augusta. So, anyway, we, we had fun with them. And then the next day at the, um, the course, we actually ran into one of them and we parked the car. In the caddy? In the, in the caddy. Well, that, that one of them was working at the course as well. Because they, they all get jobs there. All of the locals get jobs at the course during the, the weekend because there's so much to do. Um, so anyway, we parked the car and they decided to have some fun with us because they knew they were stitching us up. So at the end of the, end of the day, practice day again, just messing around, we come back and they must have worded up all of the other, let's call it car park attendants to try to stitch us up. And we didn't know this, right? So we get to our, to our car and they're like, oh, we're just going to hit some balls. And so they bring out these balls and you know you're not allowed to do you know weird things like you know hit balls anywhere. So they just strike dropping balls down in the car park area and they start hitting flop shots over they're not making nolly lane because that's an, that's one bit over from the driving range but there's same sort of trees and they're hitting flop shots over these trees onto the practice fairway at augusta and there's people hitting and and we're starting to like we're like getting real nervous and real worried about like you know we, and we're like hey we, we don't want to do any of this like we we know we're not supposed to because badger's like i'm playing in a week or two here right don't <laughs> so anyway then they go no no and one of them goes behind the car and goes to hit and one of them whacks the car as hard as he can so we think he's hit the car with the golf ball while Baz you should have seen him because Baz never does does, does anything wrong (laughs) he has ran that fast around the back of the car to see if there's a dent in the back of this Cadillac (laughs) and then all the people are coming out and going we've stitched you up you stitched us last night anyway I had had an awesome laugh and a chuckle and got in the car again and Dad's never told another little story like that ever again because he just knew it was coming coming back at him. But it was awesome. They, they, there's such a good crew there. Um, and the last thing I'll, I'll leave you with is um, come tournament time, everything about Augusta is you know, obviously pretty special. But the, 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 the food there, and, and we've touched on this, Dames, you can get your sandwich and all the rest of it. But in the clubhouse, you can get anything they want. So, so this morning before tee-off, we're playing the tournament and all the rest of it. And the group behind us, no, sorry, a group ahead of us is Carlos Franco. And he warms up on the range. It's like two or three balls. He never warms up much at all. And then he goes to the to the um, clubhouse. And we're like, okay, fair enough. So we do our thing, warm up for an hour, 45 minutes, and find our way to the putting green. He, <laughs> he He's in there. And we're like, he's the group before us. Anyway, they call the group basically – um, not not the full announcement you're on the first tee, but you know they, they've got a pre kind of calling when you're on the putting green to walk across. We're like, where is he? And we look across, right? And and then I walk a few more steps so I can see inside the clubhouse. Here he is, just in there barreling down some some eggs and ba- bacon and beans and having his juice. And I'm like, I said about, does he know his tea time? And we, we didn't know what the story was. Anyway, I see him wipe his brow and dust himself off and gets up, walks straight out of the clubhouse, straight across the area, straight across the green, into the first tee, grabs driver from the uh, from the bag and uh, says, oh, my first, second. <laughs> in other words, is he hitting first, is he hitting second? And we're like, we're just in shock. Anyway, barrels one down the middle and uh, me and Bads just had a giggle. We're like, well, here we are, like trying our guts out to – do everything right, and here he is, just ordering whatever he wants in the taking full advantage of the full buffet or whatever you want, and just walks <laughs> in and hits first shot straight down the middle. And so from that point onwards, we, we knew there was horses for courses for everyone, and he'd figured out his own way to, to get over the nerves is just have a full feed. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Thanks to those of you who've been supporting us by watching Golf Barons on demand on KO. Season two is in full swing, and we'll be back on KO in the new year. 
And special thanks to our US and UK listeners who've been getting our first season on Amazon Prime Video in their respective regions. Head over to baronslife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast or to check out the latest issue of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle magazine with plenty of game-changing content inside. Until next time, Barons, from all of us, add some swagger to your swing. <laughs>